What a powerful hymn to sing just before we take a look at some more portions of God's words. We've already hit on some uh, as we have been together because we have had the opportunity to have Scripture read from Psalm 72. Uh, scripture was read from 1 Peter, uh, one of my favorite books. You prayed, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. One of my favorite verses and one that I, I claimed often in university as things pressed in my senior year. Things may be pressing in on you this morning. Things may have you a bit anxious. Things, there may be life circumstances that not even the persons closest to you know about. Yet God is faithful, and God knows. And just as we sang, and I want to thank those who were leading us in worship and for all of us who were singing out, because when we come together to worship, and have the privilege of worshiping together. It is something that we need to all participate in. So I want you to participate this morning as you take out your Bibles. Just uh, stick your finger somewhere there in the middle in Psalms, and we'll get there in just a moment. But we are going to look at some Old Testament passages as well as New Testament passages that, although you may not see a sermon titled, Fear God Above All Else as a Mission Sermon, this is a mission sermon in its broadest context. And we just sang that God should have dominion over those farthest reaching areas, and he does, whether we see it or not. For he rules over all things. And we sang earlier a song that was calling all of his creation to praise the living God who saves, who rules them by his word. And all creation does that. We've been enjoying, as Robin shared at the end of the Sunday school hour, stepping out our door and seeing God's glorious creation all around us in a different way than we normally see it in Malta when we go to the sea or look over the hills there that are often beginning to be parched this time of year. We step out our door in Mackerel and there is green all around. We arrive late at night. Does this happen to you when you step out of your car wherever you live and you look to the trees and there are these little blinks of light of a firefly, a lightning bug, I call them. Something so small yet shows God's great detail. And it's glorious when you look at those and then you look up and you see the heavens which he created. And then he is faithful in all of those things and we acknowledge that. But how much harder it is for us sometimes as humans, the crown of his creation, created in his image, to acknowledge him as sovereign over every moment in our life. And he is. And he calls us to participate with him. And he wants us to. And yet sometimes things overrule and things get, I say, out of kilter, out of whack. Because we don't keep God in his proper place, we begin to fear other things more. Have you ever been guilty of that? But yet God calls us through his word, through the working of his spirit in our lives, through, I believe, the people whom God puts in our life, to put him back in his proper place every moment, every day. And I hope that in some small way, God takes his word and takes your presence here this morning and speaks to you through it 
and calls you to obey him. And my prayer is that as a believer, if you're a believer here this morning, that you would be spurred on and encouraged to follow him in obedience where he has you right now by fearing him more than anything else. And if you do not know Christ in a personal way this morning, my prayer is that you would know him, that you would be fearful of a God who is just and is, stands against sin and wickedness and calls us to live in right relationship with him. That's where we're headed this morning. We're looking at what I call a foundational fear. Not a foundation of fear, but a foundational fear. I've spent a lot of time early in this year, calendar year, in Psalms and Proverbs. And the phrase kept coming up over and over and over. The fear of the Lord. A call throughout Scripture to fear God. And so I want us to think along those lines a bit this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful. You gave us your word, Lord, to speak to us, to call us into relationship with you, and Lord, to live it out in relationship with others. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would speak to your people, that you would call people unto yourself, and that we would yield to you and be obedient. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You see, God's creation gives him glory by just being there. But oftentimes we can, as his crown of creation, choose not to, to say no. But we see there's an invitation. Turn with me to Psalm 33 where the psalmist invites us to give glory to God and sing to him. As I walked in this morning through that first set of doors, I looked to the left and there was a set of books and there's a John Piper book out there called Let the Nations Be Glad. John Piper has a saying. He says, missions exists because worship doesn't. Let that, let that sink in a bit. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Because there are untold Millions around the world who have not heard or have not grasped and understood the gospel and responded to it to worship him. Therefore, we as God's people go and tell. And God is sovereign over that work. But how about in our own lives, when God calls us, are we willing to say yes? And as we're seeing this psalm, it tells us, look at verse 1. We're just going to read it in its entirety. I'm going to note some sections, and we will move from this passage to some other scriptures. Participate this morning following along, finding some scriptures. If I read some and we don't turn there, jot them down. Be note takers. All right? Not because of what I say, but what God is saying to you. Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright. To praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Note that verse. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. We've just read a list of 
All he does in creation, all of who he is as creator. And then in verse 8, as a result, he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord, verse 11, stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From the heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who, may, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Our prayer is that we are putting our hope in the Lord. Note verses 8 and 9 where it talks about letting all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. And then again in verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. If I were to ask you this morning what your greatest fear is, is at this moment, would you be able to tell me? Some of you would, and when you look up something like this on the internet, you just do a quick Google search like I did in preparation for this morning, you get all kinds of lists of the top ten. You get ranking near the top is a fear of spiders. Anybody in the room? Fear of snakes. Fear of being in closed places. There's a term for being in the fear of open places. A fear of heights. A fear of the dark, a fear of dogs. And, you, and the list goes on and on, right? But if you narrow that search a little bit to recent fears based on the year, in 2022, these were some of the top fears. And ask yourself why as I read the list. Corrupt government officials, number one. People I love becoming seriously ill. Russia using nuclear weapons. The U.S. getting dragged into another world war. Someone I love dying. Not having enough money for the future. For economic uh, collapse, the fear of economic collapse. You see, the lists that I just read are fear and fears of very temporal things. And they vary sometimes depending on the individual depending on what's happening in the world as that last list that I just read, because you probably thought of 
headlines that you'd heard over the past year and a half that have prompted some of those fears. But God's word cuts across all of that and through all of that and tells us and very clearly tells us from the very beginning to the very end of his word what should be really who we should fear. What should be our greatest fear. Now that sounds quite negative, doesn't it? It is negative. For we see in Scripture that we need to stand in fear of a God who hates sin and who is righteous and just, just like we saw here in our psalm, that passage in verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And he has a standard. And because he is full of love, he is not going to be one who just sweeps under the rug a sin of the nations or a sin in your life or my life because he is also not just a God who is love, but he is a God who is just. There is a payment to be paid. And so we do speak of fear in the sense of that negative, and it's often, think about it, maybe here is the exception, but in some places it's not a very popular sermon to preach about a God who is, has a coming wrath for sin. But it's the truth. Think about your walk through Exodus on Sunday nights here. God's chosen people whom he delivered out of Egypt, yet as they were making their way to the promised land, there were times when God's displeasure and God's wrath broke out against them, and yet... God made a way for healing and deliverance in the next, you know, chapters or verses when Moses cried out to a God who is just, but he's also merciful and gracious. That is the God whom we serve. So let's try to put a bit of these two words together here in verse 8 where it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. That includes me. That includes you. But it says, let all the people of the world revere him. We have a choice of how we as human beings can live in the fear of the Lord. We can either, either live in fear of his coming wrath because we have not acknowledged him as who he is and put him in proper place of our life and right relationship with him, or we can live in that right relationship with him because of what he has provided for us and live in that reverent fear and all of him because he is without compare. That fear of reverence and worship. Let's spend just a few moments on the more negative of these for a moment. But it's clear that God opposes those who oppose him. It even says in this passage that he thwarts the plans of the nations and the purposes of the peoples. Because so often those plans, those purposes of left to our own devices are over and against what God's purposes are. That's in verses 9 and 10, but in verse 11, we see, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. We know God is a God who is perfect. He hates sin and wickedness. And we know that he is to be feared, it tells us in Psalm 96, verse 4, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. He told his people, right? He tells us, do not have any 
other gods before me. And we know he is the only God and true, one true God. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, is there a particular verse that comes to mind? I know mine would be Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That points us to that reverent fear of worship and awe when you're in right relationship with Him. But we have to deal with the negative. Because here, we know that God stands opposed to those who are wicked. And you might say, but, but I'm not wicked. My purposes are not against, but as human beings... When we look at the big picture of Scripture, we see God as creator. There's creation. There's the fall. Because go back to Genesis 1. I believe that rebellion is rooted in a fear of, I'm going to miss out. A fear of, God cannot do it as well as I can if I'm in control. When that little seed of doubt was planted in Adam and Eve, and Eve chooses to, to go down that road, right? And Adam, too, there are consequences for that sin. So there's the fall, the rebellion of the fear of missing out. I, I want to be like God. That's in all of us. And we say, well, I'm not, I'm not wicked, but what does Scripture tell us? For all have, what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that sin, sin according to Romans 6, verse 23, sin brings death. There's consequence. Right. There's judgment, and God is just. The Bible tells us none is righteous, no, not one. And Paul uses this in Romans 3 to explain and to show us that there's a need of a Savior who saves by His grace and not by our merit. It's hard for us to hear. It's not often preached. In some senses, it's bad news. But it's true, and not just in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament as well. Because do you remember, flip with me for a moment over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if we see in verses 1, the context here is, here there's a great crowd gathering. In verse 1, Jesus starts to speak to his disciples. And he's warning them against him. Verse 1 there, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's saying, don't be unduly influenced by the religious leaders of your day or fear them, fear somebody else. And Jesus goes on. He says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. That reminds me of what we read earlier, that it is God who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. God knows, even in our alone moments in the dark. He knows your thoughts, your actions, and you're a person in need of forgiveness, and I am. And here, what does Jesus say? He continues on. He says, I tell you the truth, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, 
has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he goes on in verses 6 and 7 to just say, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God, that God's in control, that we are of value to him. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So hinting towards a God who, yes, has that when, you know, are you ever asked by people, well, why does a loving God, I get this in Malta occasionally, you may get it here, why does a loving God send people to hell? But you see, it's not a loving God who sends people to hell if we are rightly handling the word of truth. We see that we're all headed that direction. Because with sin left unchecked in our life, that's the direction we're going as human beings, and it's only God himself who intervenes, opens our eyes, calls us to him, so we do not have to cower in fear of a wrath against sin, but live in reverence and awe in right relationship with him. So I try to help people understand, and maybe you've done this, and say, well, it's, it kind of depends on how you look at it. And I take them straight to a popular verse that we could all probably quote together this morning. Let's try it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But can you quote verses 17 and 18 that follow in John 3? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A God who is just and demands payment for sin is the very God who solves our problem by sending the price and the payment for my sin and your sin. And it goes on here. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Some of you are mouthing it, right? Because they have not believed in the name of the God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's a description of us all. So a bit about the bad news there that we see clearly in the Old Testament and New Testament. Yes, God is a God who hates sin. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. And we see that as bad news. It's like, but think about it as part of the good news. I'm seeing a lot of parents and maybe some grandparents in here tonight. Have you ever told a young one, don't touch that stove? It's hot. That's bad news, right? It's limiting the actions of that child or grandchild. But it's a good message because if they touch it, what are they going to do? They're going to get burned. There's going to be consequences. You're passing by some way. You want to go this way. It's the most direct route. And if someone is going like that and they say, you can't go this way, the bridge is out. So you get rerouted. Not the way you want to go, but the way you need to go to prevent you from being on that road to destruction. Right? Well, that's good news. The good news today for all of us and the message that you take to other people is that the good news is that a God who loves us holds his justice and his mercy and love in perfect balance because he is God. And that is a beautiful thing. And that's why we have this invitation here as people who live on his earth, part of his creation, to fear him. But we're invited to come and let be ones who revere him. 
and let him keep his eye upon us. And when he looks at us, he sees us as a people who have submitted to him, who fear him above all else, who have said, God, come, I'm a sinner, I need you, save me. And when he looks at us, rather than seeing us in our sinfulness and our falling short, he sees a perfect Savior himself who died in our stead. And we see that all through Scripture. Because the part of the, the bad news is part of the good news. Because if we were left unchecked, if we hurled on down that broad path, it would be certain destruction. But God himself is our refuge. In and through Christ, we have the advantage from looking back upon the cross from our perspective in seeing the full story of not just creation and redemption, fall, but we can see the redemption and how he did it, and looking forward to the fulfillment of all things being restored, restoration. And when we look back to the cross, we see how God himself came and fulfilled the words of the Old Testament prophets, and he is our refuge. Brother Andy didn't know it, but when he was praying this morning, I have this in my notes, when we look at God himself as our refuge, of course, referencing Psalm 46, he is our refuge and strength. Just a few psalms over from the one we read. What does the first three verses of that say? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Because we fear the Lord, right? And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though it, the waters foam and the mountains quake with their surging. It says, we will not fear. Why? Because we stand with God. The God who is sovereign over all things. And we know that we can be in right relationship with him. And you mentioned as well that we find in Scripture, in Hebrews, it says that he is our Sabbath rest. When no other way can we find rest. In Psalm 23, he is our good shepherd so we can pass through the valley of the shadow of death. So when we fear God above all else, we have a foundational fear. It's a fear that brings about abundant and eternal benefits and blessings. Isn't that true? Because when you know that you are secure in Him and living for Him, it puts other things in their perspective. We can cast our anxieties upon Him because He and there's that starting point of relationship with him when you yield to him and fear him more than yielding to all the other messaging in the world that we have around us. Robin referenced in Sunday school this morning that our, our son, Thomas, took some time off last summer. He flew to France. Put him on a plane in Malta. He flew to France. 24th of June, he started walking across the Pyrenees, headed west, and... One month later, and 500 miles later, he was in Santiago de Compostela, a place in Spain where a lot of pilgrims go. So he had walked all that. But you know, to go on the Camino to Santiago, he had to say, I'm going to do it. And he had to take the first step. And that's the way it is with every one of us in here, from this gentleman sitting over here to my far left, all the way to Robin around here on my far right to the front. Our relationship with God, being in right relationship with Him, knowing Him, getting that wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord, the knowledge and understanding, it points toward a journey of growing. It's, it says it's the beginning of wisdom. 
And we get that as we grow with him. So have you taken that first step this morning? Have you trusted Christ? Have you said, no, I don't want to go to hell because of my sin, but I want to accept the heaven that's offered by a loving God who has paid the price through the perfect lamb. I pray you've already done that this morning. But if you haven't, do it. And if you have, rejoice in the fact that we, as his people, are blessed. You see, it speaks in verse 12. You don't have to go back to Psalm 33, but it talks about a nation whose God is the Lord being blessed. The people who he chose as his inheritance. We know in the Old Testament, as we read from Abraham on and their journey out of Egypt and all that, that includes the Jewish nation, but through Christ in the New Testament, we're all grafted in as Gentiles. God's message is for all peoples. He wants to see that great cloud of witnesses around him. That's why we share. And he changes us. That's the good news. That he himself, 1 Peter 2.24, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. So that's the good news. As we close out this morning, I want to take us to two passages just to show us how this affects the church. We're reminded of us being reconciled to God over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we're new creations as we're reconciled, and that we're to be his ambassadors. But let's look at how the early church did that and see how they understood a fear of God that brings benefit and blessing, a fear that enables all of us to see things from his plan and perspective, and then a foundational fear that puts every fear back in its place, in its proper place. Go with me. We're going to close with these two passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, and then Acts chapter 9. Because wherever we find nations, they're made up of people, Wherever we find churches, they're made up of people. And God is calling us as individuals to be transformed, to be that new creation as Christ has worked, and facing all circumstances to remain true and faithful to him as we walk with him. And you know, these disciples that we read about, the apostles and disciples in the book of Acts, they were facing great trouble as Jesus headed to the cross. And you may remember... In John 16, he said, I've told you these things, all the things, right, leading up to the cross, all those warnings that he gave him when he prayed for him, so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In 1 John, he even tells them that he is greater than the one who is in the world, right? In 1 John 4, 4. So look at how this plays out. For Peter and John, you know the story in Acts chapter 3 when they heal the lame beggar. Peter has opportunity to preach the gospel. And he gives them a good history lesson there. Speaks some very bold and courageous words. Gets called before the Sanhedrin. They tell him not to speak about Jesus anymore. And they say, how can this be? You know, these are just plain, ordinary men. Look in verse 13, Acts chapter 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
That's where true courage comes from. When somebody looks at your life, looks at my life, and how we act and how we face the fears in our lives, even if it's those big fears that come, death, cancer, hardships, things that are real in this world, but God is with us through it all. When they look at our life, can they take note that Earl's been with Jesus? And here's what we see later in that passage. They called them in after they kind of considered what they were going to do, and the Sanhedrin was in a tough spot here, these Jewish leaders. They called them back in and said, don't speak anymore. In verse 18, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, listen to this, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. Now, who were they fearing more, God or the Sanhedrin? God. Because they say here, as for us, we cannot help but be speaking about what we have seen and heard. So when we fear God and are obedient in relationship to him, we have a boldness that puts other fears in place. And there are untold Christians around the world facing persecution who do this in real time right now in today's world. Acts chapter 9, as we close, the Apostle Paul who came to Malta, this is right after his conversion in Acts, 1, Acts 9, 1 down through verse 19. And we see at the end, in the middle of 19, Saul spent several days with all the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus was the Son of God. So just right after his conversion, he starts preaching. A bold message. And it says in verse 22, Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus. And that was even after opposition. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy. They had to get him out of there. They lowered him through a basket in verse, 20, in verse 25. And then he came to Jerusalem and look at Paul's actions. And I want this to be our prayer for us as we go that we can speak boldly. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So even there was fear among the believers there. Well, they had... <laughs> Would you have been a little fearful of Saul, too, if you didn't know him? Last thing you heard about him was he's locking people up and, you know, hauling them off to be persecuted and even those who've been killed because of his work. But he says, not believing that he really was a disciple. But as you see, his life had been transformed. He was living in the fear of God and the hope of the gospel and he was willing to speak boldly he says but Barnabas look at the role Barnabas played he took him and he brought him to the apostles that took boldness in the midst of fear for Barnabas to do this and he says he took them and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached the gospel fearlessly he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus and what does Paul do here? It says, so he stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, so without fear, in the name of the Lord. He talked and he debated. He used all that he could, right, to convince them with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So he's boldness in the face of death and he's faithful. And when the believers learned of this, they took him there down to Caesarea. But I want you to note the benefits and blessings 
of us being obedient as disciples for the church that we see in Acts, and I believe it's true today, if we will be true to what God's calling us to do, it says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. And they were strengthened. But look at what they were doing. Living in the fear of the Lord. So they lived in the fear of the Lord. My prayer is that I would live in the fear of the Lord and that you would. It says here next, they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. When no one else is around you, when you're at work and maybe put on the spot for being a follower of Jesus, you can be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is with you and God is faithful and he wants you to be too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word that you have given us in your holy scriptures from the first to last page. God, we thank you that you call us and invite us to sing joyfully to you as we've done this morning, to praise you, to praise you not only with our words as we sing, but with our lives as we fear you above all others. And Lord, my desire is that we would not live in fear of your judgment because we have accepted your gift of eternal life. Lord, that we would be those people in the world who revere you Lord, knowing that your eye is upon us as we fear you. That we would, as it tells us in Psalm 33, to hope in your unfailing love. Because you are the one who delivers from death. Lord, we can wait on you and know you. And Lord, in you our hearts rejoice. For you are our God. Lord, may we live in fear of you being encouraged by your indwelling spirit and be faithful to the task to share the gospel wherever we go through our actions and through our words faithfully proclaiming the hope the living hope that we have in you as you call us now to be obedient help us to say yes to you to trust you if we don't know you to say yes to you if we do know you and you're calling us to a particular way of service. Lord, maybe you're calling some here this morning to go nearby and share the gospel to a person who's been on their hearts. Maybe you're calling some people to go to a faraway place. And Lord, we know that if they will step out in obedience and just take that first step, you will guide them, just like you did so many others before, how you've done with Robin and myself and many others at this church. May we yield to you. In your name we pray. Amen.